Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to be back after a whirlwind tour of London and uh, Stratford and Munich and Oberammergau. It was a really nice trip. Uh, kind of lonely. My wife decided she did not want to go across the ocean in an airplane. Uh, so I went by myself and uh, some of you that uh, I'm friends with on Facebook, you saw some of the pictures and things. Uh, but really had a great time uh, and I want to thank the congregation for allowing me that time to to go away to experience some great things. Uh, the play in Oberammergau is absolutely powerful. Uh, it is performed all in German. Do I speak German? Nein. I do not speak German. But the nice thing is, is that they publish the text of the play in different languages. So they have a, an English uh, textbook, a French textbook, and so forth. I was going to bring the French textbook home to get Josh to start practicing for French 3, but uh, decided not to. But um, the Passion Play is, is produced once every 10 years. And um, so that means that in, and it was supposed to be in 2020. They moved it for COVID. It's 2022. The next one will be in 2030, and and I'm seriously considering putting together something where maybe some of us can head over and uh, check out the Passion Play. Uh, just an incredibly powerful uh, performance, incredibly powerful music, um, and I just sat there. I was just in awe of the the story of the 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 town, the story of of Jesus's passion and resurrection. Uh, but again, I want to thank you. I want to thank uh, uh, Pastor Ray for being here last week um, and uh, delivering the message. And uh, again, just thank you and think about 2030. Uh, some of us might uh, fly over to Germany, maybe even Wendy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but before I left, uh, we started a sermon series called Faith Under Fire. And we met Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were four young Hebrew men who had been taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king changed their Hebrew names to Babylonian names because he wanted to entrench them in the culture. Um, so Daniel was now Belteshazzar. Hananiah was now Shadrach. Mishael was now Meshach. And Azariah was now Abednego. And after three years of being indoctrinated into the culture and learning the language and learning the arts and the sciences, all of this stuff, um, they went before the king and these four youth were found more worthy to work for the king than anybody else, even the people who had grown up in Babylon. Uh, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar said that they were 10 times better than all the wise men in his whole kingdom. So these, uh, these boys, these young men, uh, found favor with the king. And two weeks ago, we saw that Daniel, or Belteshazzar, saved the lives of all the wise men in Babylon uh, because God gave him the ability to uh, interpret a dream that the king had had. And he told him not only the interpretation, he actually told him what the dream itself, oh, thank you. <laughs> what the dream itself was. And God had given him that ability and, and God was glorified through Daniel uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you were here, you remember Daniel's words to the king. 
Uh, in Daniel 2, chap, uh, chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has been asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And what Daniel is saying here is, is basically the same thing that Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 18, verse 27. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Daniel told the king that it's God's wisdom and that God's wisdom isn't something that Daniel deserved. It wasn't something that he earned. It wasn't even something that he learned. This was wisdom that came directly from God into Daniel's mind. And when he was able to uh, basically testify before the king of God's great power to do the impossible. And of course, the king, he wanted to praise Daniel. Uh, he wanted to honor Daniel. He fell on his face before Daniel. Oh, Daniel, you're so great. You're so great. And, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar does mention God after he worships Daniel. In uh, verse 47, he says, The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mystery, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And he acknowledges Daniel's God, but he kind of lumps him in with all of his gods, all of the other gods that the Babylonians worship. Yes, your God is greater than all of these guys, but my guys are still pretty cool too. So we're just going to leave it at that. But he almost elevates Daniel to God status. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to see him try to do that again, even more strongly. But isn't that what we do kind of a lot of times? Don't we put people on pedestals? Don't we look at these athletes and these uh, you know, actors and all of these people, and we kind of put them up on this pedestal and, and almost worship them, right? How many of you are on Twitter? Anybody on Twitter? Nobody's on Twitter, of course. On Twitter, what do you have? Followers. And the more followers you have, the more popular you are. So everybody's trying to get their, their Twitter follower counts up. And of course, if you don't have a lot of followers, then you are just nobody. Or worse, you are a bot. They will call you a bot because, oh, you've only got 30 followers. Well, I only want 30 followers. They're my friends. But no, we look to uh, these people and we kind of worship them. Sports figures, over the past several years, uh, the family and I have gone to some Ravens games. Uh, anybody been to a Ravens game? All right, so you go to a Ravens game, you're gonna see as you walk up uh, to the stadium, you're gonna see these two guys. I don't know if you can see them really clearly here, but over on this side is Johnny Unitas. He's a quarterback for the Baltimore Colts. Over his 18-year career, he threw for 40,000 yards, 290 touchdowns, led the Colts to three NFL championships and a victory in the 1971 Super Bowl. That's Johnny Unitas over here. And then on the other, other side here is Ray Lewis, former middle linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. He was the centerpiece of a Ravens defense that dominated in the 2000 season and was named MVP of that year's Super Bowl in which the Ravens' defense dominated the Giants. Score was 34 to 7, I think, was this Super Bowl. 
And these two men are synonymous with Baltimore football. At every home game, thousands and thousands of people will pass by these statues. And they'll pose for pictures with them or they'll take selfies with them. I've got pictures of myself and the boys with the statues. And because they are important to the game that we're getting ready to, to watch. But there's something even more significant, more meaningful that people do at these statues. And you might see this even in high school uh, games. But at these statues, when anybody walks past them, they will reach up and they will touch the shoes of Johnny Unitas. And they will touch the shoes of Ray Lewis. And you know why they do that, right? Who knows why they do that? They do it because it's supposed to bring good luck to the Ravens for that game. And some, most of the games that we've gone to, it looks like it's brought good luck. Some of the games we watch, well, no, it didn't bring good luck at all because they failed horribly. And this practice isn't limited to professional sports, high school teams. I don't know if you've ever been a high school like football player or, you know, whatever, and you're in the locker room and everybody's getting revved up and they're chanting and doing everything. And right before they walk out, the, the exit to the locker room that goes out onto the field, there's this usually this banner that goes across the top of the door. And what will you see all of the players do? They'll walk out. Boom. And they'll actually get, like, lambasted if they don't. So if you walk out and you don't, boom, you just brought bad luck to your team. And these are the things that we do. And we, we place this, this meaning on these statues and these monuments. And, of course, we have monuments to people all over the country. You guys know this monument here in Washington, D.C. It's the Washington Monument. It's 555 feet tall. And it was built to honor George Washington. Tallest structure in, in D.C. And do you know why it was built like this? Do you know why it was built? It's, this is called an obelisk. Do you know why it was built that way? Because the creator of the, the tower, uh, Robert Mill, he wanted to model this after Egyptian obelisks to embody the timelessness of that ancient civilization, that ancient culture, because even today we have things that come down from Egypt. And he wanted to kind of express that kind of thing, that culture and that wisdom of this ancient civilization. And, and, and we're just basically saying, Washington embodied this wisdom. And in fact, there was a while, there was a talk for a, uh, a Lincoln pyramid that they were going to build. Fortunately, they did not do that. Um, but now, usually with statues, monuments, they're created to honor a person. And usually, somebody else commissions the statue. Somebody else says, hey, we want to build a statue of, you know, Paul. Paul is, is great. Paul is wonderful. And we're going to just erect a statue to him, it's gonna, he's going to be on a tractor, and uh, he's going to be pulling like corn behind him, and he's going to be up there, he's going to have a straw hat on, and he's going to be doing this kind of thing, right? And then we'll all go and we'll all touch Paul's shoe right before, you know, Farmer's Fair or something. But usually somebody else commissions a statue. But as we're going to see today, sometimes People create monuments unto themselves. They feel that they are so important 
that they should have a statue, that they should have a monument. And we're going to be looking today at Daniel chapter 3. And in this chapter, uh, Daniel is absent. We don't see Daniel in this chapter, but we do see his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They become the central figures for this event. And by now, the, these three are serving King Nebuchadnezzar. We learn in the last verse of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel made a request of the king. This is after he interpreted the dream and everything, so Daniel can pretty much ask for whatever he wants. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So ancient Babylon was broken into these provinces. Each province had a leader, and we'll see the, 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 these leaders were called something like satraps. And we'll see that word uh, as we kind of go through this morning. Satrap was the leader of a province, and Daniel was made a satrap over the province of Babylon. And he asked the king, I want my friends to, to work with me. So would you give them positions just under me, not like leaders of anything, but just they're going to work with me? And the king said, yes. And that's where we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at the top of Daniel chapter 3. And that's where we're going to start reading Daniel 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That's about 90 feet. And its breadth was 6 cubits. That's about 9 feet. So kind of like an obelisk, right? He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the, king, of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the... Daniel gets a little repetitive here. He wants to make sure you know that when, when something is happening, it's really happening, right? So they gather for this dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. All right, we're going to take about 20 minutes. We're going to talk about what a trigon is. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But this is the important part of the proclamation. And whoever does not fall down and worship, shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So this is, this is basically the setup for this event. Everybody's there, everybody knows the rules. Okay? And we go on, therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, uh, harp bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we know what's happening on this day. King sets up this 90, 100-foot tower. 
made of gold because he was that important. And he told everybody, fall down, worship, because the tower was supposed to represent him. And anybody that doesn't, you're going to get burned alive. This is, this is what's going to happen. Now, this furnace that he's talking about, this furnace was probably what they would use to melt the copper that they would use in their weapons, their swords and their arrows and all of these things. And the melting point of copper, and this is, this is my science lesson for you today, the melting point of copper is almost 1,100 degrees. And that's going to be, and that's Fahrenheit, 1,100 degrees. That's going to be important a little bit later. So remember, 1,100 degrees, this furnace. And let's read on in Daniel 3, starting in verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, the Jews being Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a kind of brown nose in there, right? You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed Basically, what they're saying is, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you done screwed up. You put these Jews ahead of us Chaldeans. You put them in charge of things. We're not in charge of things. These guys are in charge of things. And these guys that you put in charge of things, they're not doing things the right way. We're out here, and we hear the music, and we're bowing down. Now, here's a question that I have, though. How did they go to King Nebuchadnezzar? if they were bowing down before his figure, before his golden image. How, how is that possible? You ever notice, like, when, when you're supposed to be concentrating on something, you always see that person that's like, what's going on? <laughs> right? You're supposed, anybody, anybody ever see that in school? You see that in school every once in a while, right? You're supposed to be taking a test. You're supposed to be focused on your paper. Then you're focused on your paper. And I'll watch every once in a while, and all of a sudden I'll see... What'd you get for number three? <laughs> so these guys were supposed to be bowing down. They were supposed to have their heads here. And they weren't. They wanted to get these Jews in trouble because they wanted them out of the way because they were the favorites of King Nebuchadnezzar. But they came to him and they said, these guys that you said were 10 times better, they're not 10 times better. They're not zero times better because they're not doing what you told them to do. So the Chaldeans, the king's people, used to be the king's favorites. Now the Jews are the king's favorites and they want to find a way to have them killed because that's the solution for everything. If we don't like what somebody's doing, let's kill them. 
Remember two weeks ago when we saw the king's anger management issues? Does anybody remember that? The king, in a furious anger, responded to the Chaldeans about his dream. Well, we see this same thing in verse 13 of Daniel chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So, these, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Is it true? And he's very respectful to them. O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a sign of respect. That's a sign of, of liking these guys, right? And you remember... They said that if people didn't bow down, they would immediately be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And here's King Nebuchadnezzar once again playing the favorite. Let me talk to you for a minute, guys. Maybe you didn't understand what was happening. I don't know. But what I'm hearing is that you didn't bow down. Okay? Supposed to bow down, you didn't bow down. And then he goes on. He says, now... If you are ready, when you hear the sound of the music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. It's almost like Nebuchadnezzar is like trying to save his favorite guys, right? Like the teacher's pets. You want them to be the ones in class, right? Because, and you don't want them to get in trouble. And he's trying to do this here. Look, I understand. Maybe you didn't get it. Are you ready? You ready to go out now? Are you ready to go out and not get in trouble and do what I told you to do? <laughs> they didn't answer him yet. King goes on, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And I love what he adds here at the end. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? King Nebuchadnezzar has a little bit of a pride problem of going along with his anger problem, doesn't he? Who is going to save you from me? Now, the king knew they'd seen God working, right? He saw Daniel interpret his not only interpret his dream but tell him what his dream was and he even praised the god of daniel for this wisdom for being able to do something that nobody else was able to do it was impossible with man and it was possible with god and he saw this but he still believes that he has the power over everybody and over everything. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're kind of standing there. They're listening to the king. They're being respectful. But see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the history of God. They knew the history of the power that God wielded. They knew that he parted the sea to rescue his people. They knew that he made water flow out of rocks 
not between rocks, out of rocks. And he rained down bread from heaven every single day to feed his people. They knew all of these things that God had done. And that is why they replied in the way that they did in verses uh, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, being very respectful, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you throw us into a burning, fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from that burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, they're not saying God's going to deliver them from the fiery furnace. They're saying that God's going to deliver them from King Nebuchadnezzar. That's an important distinction. Basically, what they're saying here is even if we die, we're going to be with God. We're not going to have to deal with you anymore. We're not going to have to be imprisoned. We're not going to have to be exiled. We're going to be with God. So whether he rescues us from death or whether he kills us, they go on. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Remember two weeks ago I told you that was my favorite word in the book of Daniel, but... Every time you read the word but, you know something cool is about to happen. And they say, this is impossible for man. You're right. Nobody can come. Nobody can rescue us. It's impossible with man, but we know that it is possible with God. We know that God will rescue us one way or the other. And now his friends are using the same logic as Daniel used. Look, King, we don't care what you do to us. We serve a God who can save us from flames. He can save us from drowning. He can save us from getting run through by a sword, if that's what you want to do. He can do all of those things. And you know what? He will if he wants to. But even if he doesn't want to, we are going to stay loyal and faithful to our God. We read on in verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nope, you're not my favorites anymore. You're not doing what I want you to do. You guys ever see the movie Inside Out? Who's, who's seen the movie? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Inside Out. And I truly picture, ever since I've seen this movie, I truly picture when I read this, King Nebuchadnezzar looking like this guy. <laughs> this furious rage, right? And he is just, oh. And he is so furious that he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Anybody remember how hot? 1100, almost 1100 degrees Fahrenheit. The king says, I want that furnace heated to 7700 degrees so I can throw these guys in there. 
Now, it's possible to heat something to 7,700 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know if the, if the furnace itself would survive that temperature, if it was built for that, but this is what the king wanted. And what the king wanted, the king got. Or even if he didn't get it, they told him it was 77. Yep, it's 7,700 degrees, uh, king. We got it. I, I held my hand up to it. It burned clean off, so I'm pretty sure 7,700 is the, is the temperature. Usually takes through two to three hours for a human body to burn up at 1,100 degrees. And even then, the bones would still remain, and it would take a lot longer for the bones to be burned up. The king wanted the furnace pumped up to 7,700 degrees. He wanted these guys turned to ash the second they hit the flames. That's how angry the king was, that they weren't doing what he wanted them to do. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. The mighty men, these were the strong guys. These were the big guys, right? This was like the six foot eight, 300 pounds of pure muscle guys, right? And he said, tie them up. And he tied them up. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And he, he, don't even undress them. Don't even take anything off of them. You do this now. Bind them up. Clothes and all. Throw them in. This is how furious the king was. His order was so urgent that they didn't even bother to take their clothes, which is interesting because they're wearing clothes that the king would have given them. They're in the king's service. Those clothes could have been reused, reclaimed. I don't even care about the clothes. I don't care how expensive they are. I don't care if they're Gucci. Toss them all in anyway. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The big 300-pound, big muscle guys that bound them up and threw them in. When they threw them in, you know how you throw like a, a, a log onto a fire, right? And then, you know, you go, and the fire kind of goes up and you get all the sparks and everything. Threw them in, and the fire came out of the furnace, burned up. These men of the king. The king's fury was so severe, he didn't even care that he put his men in danger. This is what anger does to us. It makes us not care about a lot of things. We don't care what we do and we don't care what we say. We don't care who we hurt. We just want that sweet, sweet revenge. And this is what the king wanted. I'm wondering if maybe there's another sermon in there someplace. We might have to talk about anger a little bit uh, later in the year. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. The end. Well, no, it's not the end, really. 
But that's where we're going to leave Daniel's friends for this week, burning in a 7,700 degree fiery furnace. And I want you guys to be thinking this week, because this is really the point of this event. First, it's to show God's power, of course. But what can we learn from this? What we can learn from this story, from this event in Daniel chapter 3, is that there are people in the world who will get very angry with us when we do not do what they want us to do. When we don't say the right words, when we don't do the right things or go to the right places, and those same people want to hurt us. Sometimes they want to hurt us physically. Sometimes they want to hurt us emotionally. Sometimes they want to hurt us financially. How many of you guys have ever heard of something called cancel culture? So when somebody says or does something that you don't like, you make it impossible for them to keep their job. You make it impossible for them to go out in public. You just, you just harangue them and, and persecute them endlessly until they go away. And this is what we face sometimes as Christians. And I'm not saying that we don't bring a lot of this stuff on ourselves. Because through our hypocrisy, we do. But what I'm saying is, when you stand up for your faith, when you stand up for the power of God, when you stand up and say, I don't care what you do to me, because the God that I serve is able to deliver me from you. The God that I serve is able to help me to survive financially. The God that I serve is able to help me weather whatever storms you think you're going to bring on. But even if he doesn't, even if I start to starve to death, even if I don't have a home or clothes or family, and yes, sometimes our families will leave us too. Even if I don't have any of those things, I have God. And he will deliver me, whether, I, whether he prospers me or whether he kills me. If he prospers me, great. If he kills me, I'm going to be with him. Either way, I win. And this is especially important for young people to hear middle school, high school, college. There are going to be a lot of people telling you that you can't do certain things or that you have to do other things that will go against your faith in God that will cause you, if you do them or if you don't do them, to act in a way that is not pleasing to the Father. 
And it is so important that you know who God is. It's so important that you know the power that God has in your life. If you know that power, if you know what God can do, you don't have to worry about what other people do to you. What other people say about you. Because God will be with you. This is what I want you to understand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were young adults. Maybe as young as 16, maybe as old as 22 or 23. Right around the age of high school and college. That's who we're looking at here. They knew the power of God. They knew God's history of rescuing his people time and time again. Rest easy. Rest assured that God is with you. And this is for the older people too. I know I've been talking to the younger people here, but this is for the younger or for the older people too. Because y'all go to work. Right? Y'all have jobs where people are wanting to tell you, no, you're not allowed to say that. No, you're not allowed to do that. We need to stand and not kneel before the world. We need to stand and we need to say, our God can rescue us. But even if he doesn't, he's going to rescue us whether I live or whether I die. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself in Scripture, that you have revealed your, your power, you have revealed your provision, your protection. But God, more than anything else, we thank you that you have revealed your love for us. We thank you that you have told us that you are not willing that any of us should perish, that any of us should see eternal death, but that you would have us experience eternal life through Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, we are finding it harder and harder to live in a world that would have us act in ways that are contrary to what you command us. And Father, we ask that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the strength, and that you would give us the wisdom to stand up, to not bow down before what the world wants us to worship, but to stand up and to worship you, to trust you, to believe that you will rescue us no matter what. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to die for us so that we can have that faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God is alive. God is eternal. He is powerful. 
And he is loving. He would have us love as we are loved. As we go out into the world this week, God wants us to show his love, to testify to what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. And most of the time, we don't even need to use words. We just need to look like Christ because Christ looks so much different than what the world looks like. As you go out this week, look like Christ. God bless you.